This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. It's time for a plan and a strategy as Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio puts a financial management advisor in your corner. Alan Small of the Alan Small Financial Group with Hollis Wealth. Welcome back. Well, at the top of the show, we were talking about China and the impact of uh, the war of words over a trade deal between Donald Trump and China. Now, in the meantime, that has caused a big tailspin in the markets. And what else does it mean for investors? I'm here with Alan Small. Hi, Alan. Thanks for being with us. Great to be here as always. So, China, Trump, what does it mean? What does it mean? It means a lot of volatility, that's for sure. It's, uh, you know, when word got out that uh, they were going to raise tariffs to 25% on $200 billion worth of threatening, goods. Threatening, threatening. Threatening. Well, his threats sometimes, unfortunately, come true. But uh, but doing that as of Friday, uh, the markets took that uh, as a big negative, sold off, came back at the end of the day. But then subsequently, the markets, I think the following day, which was yesterday, uh, I think they said that this could become a reality, sold off over 400 points on the Dow in the U.S., uh, both here in the, on the Toronto stock market, the S&P 500, all the major markets in the U.S. had a, a significant sell-off. And here we are today. The markets are sort of flat. We're all waiting to see what happens when the Chinese delegation arrives in Washington. And when's that? I believe uh, it is tomorrow. So we'll know, hopefully, before we head off uh, on the weekend, what is happening and uh the hope is that there is some sort of an agreement or at least something there to lead us to believe there will be an agreement in the coming days. It's interesting. You know, I'm comparing this uh, in December. I remember uh, being on holiday in the United States and watching the markets tank and thinking, oh boy. And then they came back so fast. Is this a situation where you think that could happen again? I think so. I think this sell-off uh, that we saw in the last couple of days is is very small in comparison. At the end of last year, the markets actually dipped over 20% in the last quarter. The bottom, now that we look back, was on, De- on December 24th, Christmas Eve. And so I think there were a few other things in, at, at play at that time. You had the Federal Reserve raising interest rates, or the talk of raising interest rates down in the U.S. was still alive. And when you talk about raising interest rates in the face of these uh, you know, I guess, uh, China trade negotiations or, or, uh, or tariffs, as well as slowing growth, which is what we saw in the U.S. at the end of last year. So I think that also played a big factor. But I think today, make no mistake about it, everybody knows that it is the trade negotiations that's causing this dip in the markets. Back at the end of December, there was some dispute whether it was the Fed and their policies or was it the, the, the trade talks with China. I think today we all know it's the trade talks with China. So the pullback's been a little bit less. Well, whatever it is, the, the, the talk at the end of last year was that, hey, the market is due for a correction. A lot of people have been saying that. And then it corrects, but the correction doesn't take. It was, you know, back up with the snap of a finger. So is there an element here where it's due? In addition to the trade talks with China. Well, I think you, you know, one can make the argument, I guess now for quite some time, you know, here we are in a, over a 10 year bull market 
that a trade correction that we're due for one or, or a recession we're due for one. And um, to me, I don't really consider that. Uh, I don't think bull markets end just because they've been running for 10 years. You think you have to have certain factors in place. Usually at the end of a, of a, of a cycle, a bull run, you tend to see interest rates start to rise. And that usually has a, a plays a big part in a, a slowdown in the economy, in the stock market. We still haven't seen that. You're looking at the 10-year bond rate here in Canada, somewhere around 1.5%, 1.7%. In the US, around 24 2.5%. So interest rates are nowhere near as high as you would normally see when you start to hit the end of a, of a long-term cycle or a bull market. So I think there's still room to run as yet. I think these are uh, a lot of noise right now based on geopolitical events. I think it's just noise. And I think once this clears up, you could see this market still run a little further. So what are you advising people to do? I mean, people are naturally nervous. I would say stay the course. You know, we can't predict what the next presidential tweet will look like. We don't know what trade deals are going to come out of the negotiations over the next few days. But what we can control is what we do. Make sure you stay the course. Make sure you stay diversified. Make sure you take your profits when they're there to be taken. Make sure you buy good quality investments that hopefully can even pay you a dividend while you wait for them to grow. Stay the course. Stay within yourself. Don't chase the hot investment. Buy good quality names, good quality investments that make sense for you that are, I guess, fit with your risk tolerance and risk or investment objectives. And I think you'll be fine over the long term. What kind of questions are you getting from your clients this week? Well, I think we're getting questions about, you know, can, you know, everything just kind of fall off a cliff as it did at the end of last, uh, last year. I've received a few of those questions or, you know, how long, as you've said, can this bull market continue to run in the face of a no deal? What happens if China and the U.S., come to no agreement. What does that mean for my investments? And I think those are the types of questions I've been getting because people are concerned. Um, most people kind of look at this and take it with a grain of salt, kind of we've been there, we've seen this before. Others are saying this could be a little bit different this time. We're kind of getting to the climax here. Something's got to give. And is there anything that you're actually buying these days? Oh, quite a bit, actually. Uh, uh, you know, you continue to buy in good quality investments. I believe there's always a good opportunity out there. You just have to do your homework to try and find it. With the, la- with the recent dip, I guess, in the last couple of days, perhaps there are a few names that I was looking at that are a little bit cheaper that I've been adding to. And again, these are names that are across many different sectors of the economy. So nothing specific, you know, can't just look at one area like technology, for example. You want to look at some tech names, some financial names, some retail names, maybe even some oil names if they're cheap. And you want to build a nice diverse portfolio. So yes, I have been buying selectively cautiously, because things are back at their all-time highs. And as we all know, when things are at their all-time highs, it becomes a little more challenging to find good bargains out there. Right. But we've had this pullback in the last few days. So uh, what are some of the names you're buying? Well, again, I think some tech names have pulled back. Uh, for example, you look at some of the bigger tech, like a Google reported disappointing earnings, that alongside with this recent pullback because of the because of the China-US trade negotiations. I think a name like Google has pulled back a little bit. Maybe someone who has uh, can tolerate that kind of volatility can take a look at some of those larger tech names because a bunch have pulled back. Some of the chip makers, the semiconductors, as we call them, the, the companies that 
produce or create the chips that go into cars, that go into phones, that go into many different things. A lot of these semiconductors do a lot of business in China. They've pulled back. They've been kind of at the forefront of what's been going on on the trade front. So a lot of those names have pulled back. They such are, as, such as. Such as, such as. Well, we've seen Intel pull back. We've seen names like Micron pull back. We've seen a number of these names pull back. Broadcom, which puts a lot of the chips into a lot of the cell phones. So a lot of these names are cheap right now. But keep in mind, they tend to be quite volatile in nature because of the way they do business. A lot of the business is done outside of the United States, outside of North America. These names can be quite volatile. So if you are looking at these names, understand they have to fit your risk profile. Uh-huh. And uh, it's for somebody perhaps with a higher risk profile. Someone that can stomach more of a, I guess, medium to high type of, of investment. A lot of these names considered medium risk or moderate risk, but I would say they're on the higher end of the moderate risk scale. Mm-hmm. Okay, Alan, uh, we have to take another break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Zoomers delaying retirement and what impact that has on investments and is there anything else that you want to get into just for our callers? Nope. Sounds good. We can talk about that in general. A lot of people are retiring later or retiring and coming back into the workforce. Very interesting. Okay. I'm here with Alan Small and we are talking about your money. The markets have been taking a beating because of Trump's latest tweet storm. And there are some larger issues overlooking. We've got interest rates and we've got people deciding either because of necessity or because of uh, what they want to do to work longer. How does that affect things? Well, I think overall, uh, a number of individuals are working longer. Uh, I know uh, some of my clients, uh, many of them actually have have officially retired from their current jobs and then kind of re-enter the workforce, I guess, a year or two later. I think a lot of people like to stay busy. They're used to working. And so even though many in cases they can retire, they decide not to. And I think uh, that helps them, I guess. Obviously, they don't tend to withdraw a, a lot of money from their from their savings, from their RSPs or RIFs. They tend to be able to live off the money they're making in their second job and keep that money invested for longer. So I think that helps, uh, I guess, overall the stock market. I think as people get older and we hear more and more that individuals could take money out of the markets to live off of, we're not seeing that as much in North America. People are living longer, but they're also retiring later or retiring and then having a a new job later on. So I think that all plays a factor in the markets. Okay, let's take a call from Jim in Pickering. Hi, Jim. Hi, good afternoon to you both. There was a plan that you would be able to defer once you get into uh, the mandatory withdrawals from a RIF, um, which would be at 72, your first payment, and uh, every year thereafter, the formula. But wasn't there a plan proposed just recently that you could uh, defer that and put it into another plan till say, 85? Did that come through? Well, it was proposed in the in the latest budget. I don't believe it is of law as yet, but it was proposed. And what that is, is you're able to put a certain amount, I think up to $150,000 for the All life right. of the plan. And what you do is you put it into a, a deferred annuity. And that annuity starts to pay out uh, at age 85. It's actually a deferred life annuity and will pay you out starting at age 85. So you are able to put a certain portion of of your money into this deferred life annuity and you could start uh, getting payment later on. And so for those that aren't or do not need to take money out or a lot of it when they're in their early 70s, as you mentioned, 72, it starts, you can defer it to, to a later date. 
So we just have to stay tuned and see if it becomes law, I guess, at this point. Well, I'm, I'm sure it will become law because right. the liberals have a majority and it's a budget bill, which is confidence issue. So it will. It will at some point. At this point, it's proposed. We have to wait till it comes to uh, to fruition. That's and great. then we'll see the details. I know that a lot of people are a bit worried about it. They're thinking, what's the fee structure going to be on that? Why do they have to have another plan rather than just making a simple decision on their own of how much of their own money to take out? And, and I agree with that. I think flexibility to me is always most important. And if right. as a, you know, as an individual, as an individual investor, if you can decide yourself when to obtain this money, when to start pulling it out and, and, and how much, if you have some flexibility like that, then I agree. I don't think this new product that they're proposing would be necessary, but I guess government thinks otherwise. Well, uh, it's it interesting. Uh, I, I did a town hall with the finance minister just a couple of weeks ago, and I asked him about this, and, and basically it, it comes down to uh, dollars. He basically said, you know what? Giving people more flexibility about when to withdraw from their RIFs and pay tax on it would cost the government more than doing this thing. So I guess that's that's the answer. <laughs> Thank you, and I'll stay tuned. Okay, thanks, Jim. Okay, yeah, uh, it's it's an issue because, you know, when you become of age, you you don't really know what is in store for you in terms of how well you're going to be and when you're going to need all that money. And if you put it into this annuity that you can't take anything out of till you're 85, what if you get sick when you're 83? I mean, that's a great point. And I hear more and more of my investors or people that I speak to. One of the reasons why they take their CPP as early as they can or OAS is for that reason. We, they just, you know, they've paid into the CPP for so long, you know, why defer it? Yes, you will make more money by deferring it to a later date, uh, to a later year, but they want their money now. And so for, for many, they just don't see the value in this annuity option. You know, if, if they can take their money out, obviously you have to pay tax and there are tax implications and you have to do some tax planning. But for many, I'm not sure they're going to use this idea or plan. And it'll be interesting to see what the exact final details look like and how many Canadians will actually use this deferred annuity. Okay. I've, I've heard, you know, one theory that it's going to be people who are very wealthy and uh, it's the idea is that's money that they're going to leave their family or whoever. And that would make sense. And, you know, if I guess if there are a lot of wealthy individuals out there that would defer, that does make sense. But for the average person, I, I, I find it hard to believe they would use that, that type of, uh, Account. Okay, Alan, we have uh, <laughs> your regular caller on this segment, Keith in Rochester. And Keith, you want to ask a question about gold, right? Well, I, that was going to be my question. I first wanted to make a comment about trade. Trump made a big mistake in not bringing together our world trading partners to form a united front against China, our common enemy. Uh, by example, it was just in the news yesterday here in Rochester that a 50-year-old machinery company is going out of business, uh, leaving behind that many workers, 50. And there are other horror stories in the um, American economy of companies, everything from agricultural to fishery, going out of business. So Trump should have brought all of the allies together. We could have stood up to China 
And uh, the, the Pacific okay, Trade Pact is looking Keith, pretty we're good on now. Finance That's one that today. Obama probably got right. And we should go back and visit that because the Chinese. OK, Keith, that. Keith, 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 we're on finance. So why don't you shoot your uh, your finance question here? On gold. Can I go ahead here? Yes, go ahead on gold. Uh, it looks like if Trump fails all the way around, he will inflate gold uh, he, he is correct about standing pat against uh, Jerome Powell, the Fed chairman, who wants at times to raise rates. Low interest rates are always best. So I'm asking Mr. Small if gold is purposely inflated, keeping interest rates low, that should bring about a burgeoning economy and gold and all metals look to be rising in uh, the next three years. I'm not so sure I would agree with that. I think that what will take place, in my opinion, is that if a trade deal, if there's a failure to have a trade deal and the, and, uh, China goes back and we end up seeing no deal tariffs rise and those tariffs remain in place. I think what you'll find is that I think you'll see a very strong U.S. dollar. I actually think that that will be not good for, for something like gold. Whereas if a trade deal, comes to fruition and they could come to an agreement, I think what you're going to find is the U.S. dollar weakening because I think a lot of people that have moved towards U.S. dollar, which has been the the trade of choice when times are uncertain, used to be gold, no longer gold. I think a lot of money is going to come out of the U.S. dollar and into other areas. And a strong U.S. dollar is not good for emerging markets, not good for commodities, not good for gold. So I think it's all going to depend on the strength of, of the U.S. dollar. Okay, thanks, Keith, for that. I have a question about that. I remember there used to be investors who referred to themselves as gold bugs. Are are, yes. are those guys around anymore, or is is that thing over? I, I still think they're around. There are probably a lot less of them. Uh, you know, gold for a long time was the alternative currency to the U.S. dollar. You know, if you didn't believe that the U.S. currency was worth the paper it was written on, you bought gold. There was uncertainty in the world. You bought purchase gold. I think, you know, the new generation, the millennials, I don't think they think that way any longer. I think a lot of the gold bugs are, are people that have been around a little while and those that remember the days when gold was that alternative. And so today people talk about Bitcoin. They talk about other things as an alternative to the U.S. dollar. I still believe today, if there is uncertainty in the world, people buy U.S. dollars. That's what they do. And and I think the price of gold will stay at these levels and maybe fall gradually over time. There's just not much gold buzz around uh, to, to hype up the, the yellow metal any longer. Okay. I'm going to give the numbers out again because we do have a few more minutes and Alan Small is here and he's happy to take your calls and your questions. 416-360-0740. Toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And you've mentioned Bitcoin. Now that took a bit of a hit. Mostly I hear about Bitcoin being demanded as a ransom for, you know, uh, people who steal your data. <laughs> That's where you tend to see it. Uh, those, uh, those viruses. I think it's ransomware yeah. or ran- the ransom virus. They, they hold your data ransom and they ask you to pay them in Bitcoin. But yeah, I think the, the Bitcoin craze is definitely settled down. I think what's come out of it more so is the technology behind Bitcoin, the blockchain technology. I think that's what a lot of companies, corporations, uh, you know, just the people in general are more interested in. And um, Bitcoin, like you said, at one point, I think it got up to almost 20,000. 
Today, somewhere it fluctuates three to five thousand. So, really, ever since the start of last year, Bitcoin's taken a hit. You don't really hear individual investors trying to figure out how to buy Bitcoin any longer. Those that owned it, many of them lost a lot of money. If you still own it today, I guess you're still owning it. But going forward, not much talk about it any longer. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you've referred to millennial investors and not liking gold. Uh, you know, mostly what we hear about millennials is that they don't have any money, but some are obviously very well off. How are they different from the boomer generation as investors? Well, I think a lot of ways they, they are very different. Um, you're, you're looking at millennials growing up in a, in an era where access to information is, is, is quite easy. They go online. They do a lot of them do their own research. Whereas I guess clients of mine that are maybe of retirement age or approaching retirement, in their high income earning years, let's say, they are usually quite busy. They don't, um, many of them look at their own, you know, do their own research, but many of them don't do that. And a lot of them rely on the expertise of individual investors or individual investment advisors. Now, not to say that millennials shouldn't have an investment advisor, but I think that, that going online, social media, just overall access to information for this generation is a lot greater than it was back years ago, decades ago. And so, I think that definitely plays into, has an effect on their habits, uh, socially, investment wise, and overall in general. I think they are different in how they act and, and what the things that they want to accomplish with their investment dollars. Uh-huh. I mean, I am skeptical about stuff that I would see about investments on social media, to be honest. And a lot of the people that I talk to that are, I guess, uh, a few years younger than myself, they may be skeptical, but they're very quick to verify and they have their favorites and you hear about them talk all the time. Social media, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever the feeds are, uh, whatever the social media is, uh, they tend to rely on this information uh, for themselves. And I guess at times, nothing wrong with that, but at times they could be given the wrong information. And unfortunately, that could lead to investor mistakes. Yep. Yep. So where are we at, uh, in general? So we've, we've had this big dip at the end of last year. It came back. Now things are looking really shaky and, and volatile again. Yeah. So I think overall where we're at today is, like you said, we had the, the, the big correction and I think people minimize the actual impact of that. I think when you look at a 20 plus percent correction, um, in three months, you got to go back to 2008 where we saw 50% correction in six months. So if you were to extrapolate that over six months, you're talking pretty close. So that's how big that was in a very short period of time. But here we are now, start of May, markets have come back, back at all-time highs. Individual portfolios are now, for the most part, for individuals, back or near all-time highs. Maybe this is the pause that refreshes. Uh, maybe this trade talk will get done, and then the market will continue on its way. I think many people are hoping, like myself, that this is the catalyst. These trade negotiations are the catalyst to take the markets to the next level because a lot of people were fearful fearful for a while that a recession was was imminent. I think more people, more and more people are talking about if this trade deal can get done, this could be a catalyst for quarters to come that people could see their portfolios continue to rise, albeit at a measured pace, but still rise, and perhaps the recession will be pushed off for a, a little while yet. 
Okay. Anything else you'd like to leave us with, Alan? Well, I would say, you know, keep, uh, keep the noise out of things. Keep uh, emotion out of investing. There's a lot of noise out there right now, whether it be from geopolitical events, you know, you know, Iran, U.S. or U.S., China, U.S., Canada, you know, on the talks that we're having about our, our trade negotiations. So there's a lot out there to digest. Stick with the market. Stick with what we know. And I think, uh, you know, the hope is that these deals will get done and the markets will continue to rise. Okay, that is all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for that. Alan Small, Senior Investment Advisor with Alan Small Financial Group with Hollis Wealth. Thank Appreciate you. it. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.